It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The headlines and the conversation about climate often go along partisan lines. Many think that the right has no business talking about climate because they're not in it. It's time to rethink and reconsider what we know about what the right believes about climate change, stewardship of the environment, and moving the country forward. Think you know the Joining news us of the to day. discuss today is Representative John Curtis, who's been part of critical conversations about climate, about clean energy, and having a different kind of conversation uh, coming from the Republican Party. Congressman, thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you, Boyd. Always enjoy being with you. Well, this is one of those uh, topics that uh, many have said, and I think Republicans to some degree kind of ceded it and abdicated it to the left for so many years. And you've been part of a group and some really crucial conversations to say, not not so fast, my friends. Uh, this is something that uh, actually does fit uh, with uh, conservative principles. You're exactly right. And, and I really regret uh, that what you've said is true. Uh, and basically, we're branded as conservatives as not caring. And, and that could not be further from the truth. So let's talk about some of those conversations and uh, why we should think again about what conservatives are doing about the environment, about stewardship and so on. Uh, tell me about some of the conversations you've been having with some of your colleagues uh, in Congress. Well, I'll tell you, um, I, they are very interested. My colleagues are so much so that we uh, several weeks ago thought we'd invite some of them out to Utah to have this discussion. We said if we get half a dozen here, it will be a success. 24 Republican lawmakers came to Utah to talk about climate, mm. and uh, six six of those were ranking members. Some of the most uh, influential names in the Republican Party in Congress came to Utah because they, too, are tired of, of taking a back seat, uh, of being on the defensive, and want to go on the offensive on this issue. And so what was the uh, what was the aha moment for uh, your colleagues uh, there? Again, that's a, that is impressive to get uh, 24 members of Congress anywhere uh, during uh, in-state work period week is, uh, is significant. But what, what did they come away with? What did they, what did they learn uh, being here in Utah? I think the aha moment was they're not alone. Sometimes as Republicans, you feel a little bit alone. And the second aha moment that is so critical uh, for Republicans, and I see this in my town hall meetings, is when they realize they do not need to abandon conservative principles to be um, um, strong on the environment. Uh, there are amazing conservative principles that we're not talking about that are, quite frankly, better than what's on the table uh, from some of my Democratic colleagues. Most of their proposals kill jobs, kill the U.S. economy, put China at a, an advantage. And the aha moment for Republicans is you don't you, you don't need to, to to follow that line. There are there are great Republican principles that we should be talking about. Yeah, and it seems to me there there at least has been a period historically where a lot of conservatives wouldn't talk about these kinds of things for fear that would 
lead them to have a uh, a primary challenger or to be you know <laughs> attacked from the from the right flank of the party and uh, and have a tough reelection. Well, there's another aspect of that too, and that is, I think Republicans and conservatives have felt like if they talk about it. That then somehow endorses the Green New Deal or, mm. or you know, validates uh, the, these extreme positions. And I think that's another reason they don't like to talk about it. Mm. I, I think that's, uh, that's so vast. So let's, let's dig in on some of these principles uh, in terms of what you and your colleagues have been discussing and, and coming up in terms of a framework in terms of how conservatives can talk about climate in a, in a little different way. Uh, and let's start with just some of the things like uh, stewardship of the land and, and clean energy. You, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. If, if I say in a town hall, like, who, who, who's all into climate change, the room will quickly divide and become divisive. Mm. But if I say in a town hall, who thinks we need to be good stewards of, of this beautiful earth, I can get 100% agreement. And I think that's part of the problem is that we frequently start the question with a divisive approach rather than something that we can all agree on. None of us feel like it's okay to to destroy this earth. We all want to leave it better for our grandkids and uh, feel a great responsibility to do that. And to me, that's a a great starting point as opposed to starting with, well, let's, let's have this divisive conversation about climate. Yeah, so important. And uh, let's get to the some of the components of that. Yeah, you mentioned things like the Green New Deal, which I think, again, is kind of the extreme version of the, the other side. Uh, and there are a lot of Democrats who are more in that center-left category of, hey, let's do this in a way uh, to talk about the, the two real critical issues, which is how do you do all of this without destroying the economy <laughs> or crippling American businesses uh, in the face of China and other competitors? That's a great question, because when you answer that, you realize that you don't need to kill the U.S. economy. So one aspect is simply green uh, technology developed here in the United States that could be sold around the world. And I actually believe that this is the next industrial revolution opportunity waiting to happen with U.S. uh, innovation leading um, the world. Uh, I think another area is um, this concept of uh, innovation that we are just on the cusp of, of delivering, uh, direct air capture, carbon sequestration. And, and the honest truth is, if you really believe the science on climate change, you can't get where we need to go without this type of innovation. We can't get there without direct air capture, without carbon sequestration, primarily because we have so many partners around the world, China and India and Russia, who are not reducing, rather increasing their emissions. And so unless we're working on technologies to actually reduce the carbon in the air, we can't be successful. And these are this, this innovation, this technology, great Republican principles. And then another one that really surprises people is that we can't actually uh, achieve our goals without fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that, that that's just totally contrary to what people are being told. But, you know, the U.S. has reduced more greenhouse gas emissions during the last decade than the next carbon-reducing, 10 carbon-reducing countries combined. Wow. How did we do it? We did it with natural gas. We, we could reduce more carbon in the world by exporting U.S. natural gas to China, to India, to Russia, than we could by implementing the entire Green New Deal times 10. Wow. And so we've got to talk about the role of fossil fuels in, in reducing carbon. And I know that's counterintuitive, but but we don't need to, to villainize all fossil fuels. 
Oh, and I love that, and I and I want to hit one other component on the uh, on the innovation front uh, because we have seen, you know, we've seen, seen things historically where government has tried to jump in. You Solyndra and some of those things come to mind, yes. where the government dumped in massive amounts of money, which actually ended up hurting innovation, ended up hurting yes. research and development because American businesses. They'll compete against anybody, but they have a hard time competing against uh, the United States government dumping stuff in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you know, Boyd, and not only is that true, but I think something is happening that's really interesting. And that is most of this movement is is being led by consumers and Mm. and shareholders, not by government regulation. Many companies making changes to their portfolio. They're not doing it because of government regulation. They're doing it because of consumers and, and shareholders. And, and that is far more powerful than government regulation. And um, markets will respond to what customers want. And uh, so if we really want to, to, to change uh, the way that we're doing business, that's, that's far more powerful than government regulation. Uh, so I want to get one last question in before we take a, a, a quick break here, and uh, we're going to get you to stay with us uh, just a little longer here. Uh, but I want to get uh, to this idea of, of what's next now. You've got this uh, group together. Uh, you've been part of a lot of these groups that are, uh, I, I keep calling them the, the balls and strikes brigades, where you can <laughs> you, you just call balls and strikes, and whether that's a left or a right or a center or whatever it may be, uh, what's the next thing we should be looking for or hoping for uh, in order to move this crucial conversation forward in a way that can actually get some things done? Well, uh, based upon the receptivity we had uh, with the Salt Lake experience, we're forming a caucus back in Washington, D.C. called the Conservative Climate Caucus. Watch for us to take the offensive on the climate dialogue and stop being defensive. Uh, that's, I think, the, the most important thing for conservatives and Republicans now is to, to to stop running from this and turn around and say, wait a minute, we have ideas. They're good ideas. We want our ideas on the table, and we want serious uh, discussion about the ideas that we that we want to put forward. Uh, if you're just joining us, Representative John Curtis, this is, uh, if you think, the talk of climate and energy, clean energy and responsibility is strictly a conversation for the left, Uh, It's definitely time to think again. And we're going to invite uh, Representative Curtis to stay with us. We're going to do a little Einstein here. Einstein said he wasn't smarter than anyone else. He was just willing to stay with the questions a little longer. And we're going to have John Curtis stay with us a little longer. We're going to talk about immigration coming up next. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.